When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the New Books Network. London, 1895. We sat around the table in the unused room, said the possible client. His speech was better than Tim Badger's, more like a tradesman, though he said he was a valet. His clothes certainly looked the part. Fitted coat, waistcoat, hair parted down the middle, but a little windswept. No mustache or beard, but he was in want of a shave. Go on, said Tim. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. And today I'm talking to Jerry Westerson about her latest novel, The Isolated Seance. Westerson became interested in the Victorian era while researching her paranormal series. She found herself writing a separate tale about one of the street urchins, the Baker Street Irregulars, that the great literary hero Sherlock Holmes used for spying. And she imagined Holmes guiding that now-grown urchin to open his own detective agency. In the isolated seance, Tim Badger has aged out of Holmes' employment, but Holmes is so taken with him that he helps Tim and his partner, Ben Watson, start their own detective agency. The crime, which takes place during a seance, as the title implies, is the basis for an exploration of race, women's rights, human dignity, British class structure, and what it means to focus on one's surroundings. Hi, Jerry. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Julie. Thank you for having me. Now that you started a kind of Sherlock Holmes pastiche, will you make a series based on the new Badger and Watson detective agency? Oh, yes. (laughs) That's the plan. Okay, where are you with it? Well, I've just finished the second in the series, just fine-tuning it a little bit before I send it off to my uh, editor. But... uh... Yeah, I've got uh, definitely have plans for that. Excited about only, that. Not the only series I'm working on, though. I do also have a Tudor mystery series, so I get to go alternating between each era. Ooh, oh, I like it. So first, let's confirm that everybody knows 
Sherlock Holmes, as you write in your afterward, is an imaginary character in a detective series written by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. So why are the books based on this illustrious character still being published? Because my favorite so far until I read your book has been the um, Mary Russell and Sherlock Holmes by Laurie King. Love those. In which she imagines him getting married later in life. But, you know, as I said, I'm going to switch allegiance. <laughs> well, you know, Sherlock Holmes is has been so influential to writers of mystery and also Scotland Yard, really, because a lot of his, his methods uh, began to be used because the readers were seeing so much of it. They were wondering, why isn't Scotland Yard doing it, too? So it's interesting that he affected so many people. But, you know, I think we're always fascinated by the smartest guy in the room. Uh, we want we want him to solve all of our problems. And of course, everybody's scrambling around trying to figure out who killed this person. And Sherlock Holmes walks in calmly, sensibly, logically goes through all the clues that nobody else noticed before and will find the answers. And I think that's just so fascinating to people. So um, comforting to people in a way as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Totally right. So your character, Tim Badger, describes how Sherlock Holmes saved and guided him when he was a Baker Street irregular. But Sherlock Holmes also taught him how to do a lot of highly irregular, sometimes illegal fact finding. What, why did that stand out to you? And how did you come to fill in Tim's character? Well, I wanted to leave the canon alone. I didn't want Sherlock Holmes to have a nephew, a wife, an aunt, or whatever um, that was not in canon. So I, I stepped back just a little and I thought, why not the Baker Street Irregulars? We can talk about them because there's only two whom we know their surnames, but not their first names. And um, so Tim Badger could have been one of the Irregulars. So he has, he's, he's grown up uh, with Sherlock Holmes as a guide and sort of a father figure as well. But he has, he's learned so many things from him, things that he could use in life anyway. And, and so this mentorship, which wasn't that much of a mentorship, but Tim is a very clever young fellow with hubris and a confidence that is sometimes undeserved. But he has he's moved along and used what he learned from Holmes being in his employ and taken it to the next level, or at least has tried to in his in opening his own detective agency. Mm -hmm. So as you mentioned, you're working on another series as well. And how you've written how many books so far altogether? Uh, let's see. Uh, published books, about 38, maybe? Oh, my. Oh, my. So, so well. <laughs> <clears throat> so how do you start a new one? Are you a pantser or a plotter? What's going on? You know, I used to be a plotter. I used to write everything out first, you know, chapter, high points, you know, uh, all the little indicators, little dots and the, and and things that would take me, little arrows taking me to this and that. At some point while writing my Crispin Guest Medieval Noir series, 
um, I discovered I couldn't do that anymore. For some reason, I could not plot ahead of time. I had, you know, your basic idea of the plot, of course, uh, where it was going to end up, some scenes in between, but I just couldn't outline anymore. So I'm a pantser now by the seat of my pants. Okay, but I do we... have to have some idea of where I'm going first. Uh-huh. Interesting. We didn't see many characters of color in Victorian writing. So it was refreshing that Ben Watson is black. He's also had a series of careers, including as a chemist's assistant. I think what makes him most intriguing is his self-awareness. Can you say more about him? Yes, I thought it was uh, pretty important to have uh, some diversity in the books. Um, I don't think Conan Doyle ever brought any in. Um, and people have asked me, why do you have a Black character in your book? And I said, because they were there. And uh, so I, I did a lot of research on that. And um, in fact, there's a, this, this book called uh, Black Victorians, Black Victoriana. It's a series of, of different essays by different writers and historians about the Black experience in uh, England. And it started um, well before uh, they ended slavery in 1833, that Black men mostly were coming to the shores of England and taking hold. They were, they were becoming immigrants. And they came from, uh, obviously, Africa and from the West Indies and Caribbean and uh, made their home there. And this went on for a while. And, and as I said, it was mostly men. So they were marrying and they were marrying white women. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they were welcomed and sometimes they weren't. But they were there. And so having, having that, uh, ha having a different point of view of life. I mean, it's a very class system there, of course, in England. But when it's a black person, there's still that extra, extra difference sometimes. Mm -hmm. Now, Badger is very welcoming. He doesn't care because if you're a friend, if you're loyal, that's it for him. He, he's, he's your friend forever. But he does see occasionally how um, Watson has some problems uh, getting around and talking to people that he needs to interview. Mm -hmm. And so that I think that brings a different dynamic to each of their characters as well. Yeah. Um, would a woman of Elsie's social standing have been able to take a job as a reporter? Well, she's based on a real person that wrote for the Daily Mail, uh, the Daily Chronicle, excuse me. And um, so she was educated um, and uh, she, she, to back up a little, uh, she is a daughter of a baronet and both parents are now dead and they didn't exactly leave her in uh, a good financial situation. So she did, she took a job and she realized that one of the best things she could do was be a journalist because she is educated, she knows lots of different people she could step into any sort of situation uh, with verve and uh, and does so. And so, yes, I think for her, that's probably a, a, a good position, except that, of course, the editor assumed she would take on women's issues and household hints and that sort of thing, but she doesn't. She wants to explore crime. So that's how she 
and the team of Badger and Watson meet. Mm -hmm. I thought that Tim and Ben's relationship is was a central theme in the novel. They don't always agree, but they, they really do watch out for other. Can you talk about that? Yes, I really do like their dynamic. Um, like I said, and it's funny because I don't, I don't sit down and decide, oh, well, Badger will be, um, you know, have this overconfident sort of uh, devil may care sort of attitude. Watson will be more subdued and he's going, I, it doesn't happen like that for me. For some reason, it's just as soon as I start writing them and they're talking and interacting with each other, their personalities bloom. And so that there is the difference. Tim mm -hmm. having the the chutzpah <laughs> to begin this agency in the first place, they're both from the East End of London. They're not well-educated. And uh, so, I mean, Badger knows how to read, barely, but that's about it. Um, but he has the, the guts to try this. And here's, here's Ben Watson, who also comes from the slums, but he's... he's He's got these different jobs because he takes these different jobs, and you'll find out more about that in the next book, um, in order to to try to support his mother, um, but also to experience different things. And they don't always work out, and they don't always end up being a profession, the profession he's looking for. So he tries different things, chimney sweep, uh, butcher, a chemist assistant, uh, chimney sweep, all these different things that he's done that makes him uniquely qualified to be a detective in the end. Mm -hmm. so. uh, he's a great character. Um, I'm wondering if any of the characters are based on actual Sherlockian characters or people you know. Like in writing this, did you look back at someone who is incredibly mean, rude, misogynistic, and hated by everyone? Just wondering. No, not, not particularly, no. I mean... Uh, they aren't even particularly uh, doylish, but I take them more from the period, just as I take the whole uh, idea of a seance, because uh, in the Penny Dreadfuls and in the writings of the day, uh, the readers always liked a little bit of uh, supernatural quality or something that seemed like it was going to be very mysterious. And they were just, they just loved that. They just ate that stuff up. And Doyle was very interested in spiritualism and in seances. So it 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 moves, it goes right into the time period. And so, and they do too. But we don't spend a lot of time with people of their class in books and in stories of the time. So, I mean, even in the, the, the Holmes books, uh, most of their clients are well-to-do or at least of a higher class and they weren't born on the streets and and um so we'd never really get into the live deeply into the lives of of people of their class and i think that that's interesting because i think that the readers probably have more of um and it can get into their lives understand their lives better than somebody who's up here for instance um so we relate to a lot of their problems, you know, making ends meet, where's the next meal coming from? Can I afford this bus ride even? So, uh, you know, I, I like the, that we, 
we see a lot of them, and then we see them uh, trying to deal with people of, a, of the upper class that they never would have been in. They never would have been invited into their parlors. They never would have been invited into their personal lives, except that now they are because they have to discover this terrible thing that happened. Mm-hmm. So I think it's an interesting aspect to, to take a look at. Just another one. I, I like the layers, I like layers of things in my books. Mm-hmm. Can you say something about the Irish travelers who modeled themselves on gypsies? Well, there were uh, those who were not welcome, <laughs> mostly in England, um, in the cities or in society. And so... Um, they did sort of model themselves after the Romani peoples that came through in England and Europe, the rest of Europe. Uh, they didn't hang out with them because different languages, different traditions, etc. But they did move from place to place, just like they did. As soon as it was, uh, they were kind of um, been there too long in somebody's area, whether it was in the countryside or in the edge of a city, like in London, um, they were told to move along, and they did. And yes, there were some um, shenanigans, there were some thieving and, and things like that, but there was also um, just trying to get by, just selling their stuff or, or um, doing a, some um, medium spiritualism kind of work. And we kind of know that a lot of that was was not exactly uh, up and up, not exactly true what they were doing um, in in seances and such. Um, I know that Doyle really involved himself in them and and uh, spiritualism, but his, one of his contemporaries, Harry Houdini, it was his job he felt to debunk them because he knew that they were bilking the public. Mm-hmm. So um, there's all these fascinating things about this time period. And that's why I really wanted to write a story uh, or a series set in this time period, because there's so much going on. So many things that we as readers have remembered from other books of the time period that never touched on this or that. So it's, it's my chance to really go whole hog. It just, it sounds like a fun way to write. Um, It's way fun. (laughs) As it should be. There's a very moving passage in which Tim is hoping that Sherlock Holmes sees him as a son. But Sherlock Holmes explains that he actually sees Tim as his legacy. If you had to explain that legacy in a nutshell, what would it be? I think it would just be the continuation of thinking like he does in in taking a crime and not just finding the closest hooligan that you can blame for it, but really taking the time to use the method if you could uh, and taking all the clues and really thinking your way through your investigation rather than in previous years, just really clobbering the closest person that seemed guilty. <laughs> so yes, I, I, he wants his method as his legacy. And he, he looks mm-hmm. at him that way. And it is a fun, I do like writing passages like that because Tim is just full of emotions. And of course, Mr. Holmes is not. <laughs> he, right. he holds his in or he can't identify them properly. And uh, so 
you know, he he <laughs> he doesn't see Tim as a son, but he he does want him to continue what he's learned from Holmes, and I I think he will. Mm-hmm. So uh, you said that your next uh, Baker Street Irregular uh, novel about Badger and Watson is going to come out next year. What else are you working out now? What else are you working on now? Well, uh, let's see. Uh, I've just sent in the second book in my King's Fool Mysteries, the Tudor series. I'm going to hand in the next in the uh, regular detective mysteries, The Mummy of Mayfair, if that is not uh, supernatural stuff, spiritual stuff for that time period, I don't know what is. So that means I'm alternating. That means I have to write the third in the <laughs> in the Tudor series. So I I will be doing that while still thinking about the third in the um, Sherlockian series. So back and forth, back and forth. Wow. So it's on. like it's like two books a year. It's two books a year. Yep, it sure is. Why oh did my. I do that? I don't know. Wow. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Jerry, and I wish you the best of luck with all of your 38 plus books. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. And thank you for listening. Again, this is GP Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host for New Books in the Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I've been talking to Jerry Westerson, author of The Isolated Seance. Hope you all have a juicy novel to cuddle up with today, and always, happy reading.